So in that, and I, I was here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as, as the king. And that is, was his purpose, and, and that is who he is. But I want to look at just this little aspect of this conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And Jesus makes a simple statement, for this cause came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And it's interesting, Pilate's response to that. And he says, what is truth? And I don't know if you've been paying attention in our world lately, but that's a a fairly common question these days. And it's as if, it's as if there's no such thing as truth. There may be your truth and my truth, or, but like, as far as the truth, it seems to be this ambiguous thing that people have a hard time putting their finger on. And Jesus' statement speaks very clearly to that issue, is that everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. If they're not of the truth, they're not hearing his voice. And then we just start making up whatever we want, regardless of the actual truth. And so this is a, a, dangerous, a dangerous thing to do. I forgot to do this ahead of time. Thankfully, when I got my new phone, I could not put Facebook on it because I can't remember my password to get into Facebook <laughs> and the email attached to it I no longer have access to. So it's a wonderful thing. But my old phone does still work and I occasionally will sit and, and just scroll through, um, largely just for the updates from, from the, the missionary that's in Ukraine. And I, I mentioned... Not in a while now, because I haven't looked at it that much lately, but I used to mention there is a a group on there that I joined a long time ago because I saw something that sounded positive out of them. It's called the Clergy Coaching Network. And I've commented a, a number of times of some of the disastrous things that they have commented on and posted on the clergy coaching. Like, So we're helping pastors, right? So this week, this was the picture posted. And the comment with it was that the Bible is true because it says it's true. So what's the implication here? The, the implication is that this is circular reasoning and that like, Obviously, this thing don't work, right? When I plug this into itself, there's no power here. So on the clergy coaching network, we're making a post that's claiming that my foundation of all of that I believe, it's like, what is truth? Is, is, Is there truth in here? Is it true? And me saying that it's true because it says it's true? Does that make it true? Like, 
well, thank you for the encouragement as a pastor that I have a good foundation to work from, right? And now I can come before my congregation and, well, I might as well just sit down and shut up if what is in this book isn't true. Because we're wasting our time. If what I can know about God, this is the only thing I can know about God. How else will I know who God is? How else will I know my condition as a sinner before a righteous God who is going to judge every one of us based on what we've done in this life? If it's not from this, what are we doing? If, if what it says isn't true, then we're actually completely wasting our time sitting here this morning because it's all what is truth. We're just making it up then. Somebody, you know what's more shocking, or as shocking, I guess? I don't know who the people are that join a group called the Clergy Coaching Network. You would think it would be a lot of clergy, as in like pastors and preachers and like elders in churches, right? You would think that would be who has joined this group to get some encouragement as church leaders. But I read through the comments. Out of the hundreds of comments... I think I found two that actually made a statement that this is the true word of God and like that we can trust the thing that's in our hands and believe it. The rest of them were applauding this statement and there was a little bit of an article with it of, oh, that's so right. I agree with you 100%. That it's like, what is wrong it's not what's wrong with our world. It's like, what in the world is wrong with the churches these days? And the people leading our churches, if, it's, if everything is in question and it's just a book of myths and stories and it's a complete, what are we doing? It has to be true to be even worth cracking the book open and reading it. There was two verses that somebody in the comments just, I had to actually search up the verses. They didn't put the, the references, but Colossians 2 verse 8 was one of those verses. I thought these were very appropriate verses to quote. And I like that the person things, when you're dealing with people that have that kind of attitude toward the Bible, towards God, that are casting doubt on absolutely everything, the only answer that we ought to give shouldn't be out of man's wisdom. It ought to be, thus saith the Lord, right? Just quote scripture, because this is what the Bible says, and let God deal with that person. You're not going to convince them in all of your wisdom and your... your. Paul, when Paul went preaching, look at the Ephesian church, and he's like in this place where they're worshiping absolutely every idol and fairy tale that they could imagine, and they even have a, an altar to the unknown God. And he goes and he just preaches to them the gospel, who Jesus is. 
But he talks about that. He says, I didn't come with enticing words and man's wisdom. He just like the foolish, simple, like I just read the scriptures and I told you about this person, this man, Jesus Christ. And it was just like, it's not with man's wisdom that we're going to convince people. It's with, it's with God's word that we're going to convince people. But Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. When people start using their intellect to dismiss God and, and what he gives us of how we can know him, it becomes a stumbling block to people. We were talking about um, Jordan Peterson last night. And here's a man that is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and has a lot of really good things to say. And he quotes the Bible constantly. And he, he'll, he'll give a Bible story and he'll give some philosophical description of what it is teaching. And the problem is, Jordan Peterson, when you try to pin him down as far as the gospel goes, he's very critical of Christians. And he doesn't like that Christians are trying to always get him to actually accept the gospel that you're a sinner and Christ died for your sins and you need to... It's like he won't take that final step. Like he believes God, he believes there's some powerful, there's something very special about this book. But he, he, he kind of puts it into the, the, the myth category and philosophizes over all this stuff and can actually end up leading Christians away from believing that this is truth and that this is a, a, a solid foundation that we can trust in. So we need to be careful of some of who we listen to in their wisdom as they start to dismiss and, and chip away at our faith in what God has given us. The second verse that that person posted is 1 John chapter 5. And perfect two verses to use. Like, I couldn't have come up with two better verses. Like, just, you have to be, you know, the, the attention span of, of our world these days is about five seconds, right? And so if it's more than two sentences, they're not going to read the thing. And so this guy gives just the two sentences. First John chapter 5, verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. What's the record? Like, this is the record that God has given us. It's the book. And like I said, like, if, this, if this isn't the record, if this isn't the truth of what we can know about God, then where are you going to find it? In man's wisdom? <laughs> man's wisdom can't even define what a woman is. <laughs> 
So we're, we're in a heap of trouble if we're depending on, on that to get us to who God is and, and what God requires of us, right? We need a, a better source than man's wisdom. But, you know, the issue that these people have, and the issue with Jordan Peterson can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. People are looking at the book entirely wrong and from the wrong perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse 12, starting there, says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. See, the problem is, when a worldly person comes to the Bible and starts looking at it, it's like, well, this is foolish. Like, what a bunch of nonsense. What a bunch of... How many of you have read the, the whole Bible? <laughs> when you get into some of the stories in that Old Testament, there's some pretty shocking stuff that you don't typically hear on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> you won't hear the average preacher preaching on... I'm not even going to name some of them. Like, <laughs> some of the things that take place in some of these stories are not what you would imagine the Bible to be. It's not, it's not what people think it is. And when they read it, they don't know what to do with it because they're looking at it from a human perspective. And if that's the only perspective we look at it from, we'll never understand it. And we've, I've complained to God of, how hard it is sometimes to get a firm grasp on a doctrine that's taught in Scripture because take salvation, for instance. You all, like, okay, there's a couple of places where it's kind of spelled out, but then there's other places that kind of give us a little bit more information to kind of fill in the gaps and it's like, why isn't all of that like in one spot all put together for us? Well, because then man's wisdom would be able to figure this stuff out, but God doesn't want man's wisdom. He wants us to, to need him. And when we turn to him and he uses his spirit to guide us, and we start to read the thing believing it to be his word, all of a sudden, things start to, like, I don't know what we were watching. <laughs> we are watching some, the National Treasure series that's, that they're making now. But anyway, like, the girl is, like, trying to solve a puzzle, and it shows in her mind, like, she's looking at all these different things, and the, the parts that she needs are, like, highlighted, like, they're glowing, right? Well, it's almost... It's like that's her, her, her solving the puzzle is like she's picking out the important pieces. Well, it's kind of like 
when God's spirit is guiding us, I hate to make those kind of comparisons, but it, just, it helps. <laughs> it's God guiding us, and when his spirit is, you've been reading through your Bible, and like, I've read it a bunch of times. And every time I read it, it's like, well, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and it's like, there's, it's new. Every time you open it and start reading, there's something brand new about it. It's never... There's books. Like, people's bookshelves are lined with books, right? How many times do you pick up a book and read it a second or third or tenth or fiftieth time? It's like, I've read it already. Like, I don't need to read those books again, for the most part. But this one is like, it almost, the, the more you read it, like, the newer it gets and, like, the more it starts to make sense. And it's like, but you, you need God's spirit. If it's just in our flesh that we're reading this thing, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And so we need to realize that it is a book that's spiritually discerned. We can back up in that same passage to verses 4 and 5. I mentioned earlier, it says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's the thing, like, we can have some highly educated person, there's nothing wrong with education in and of itself, but if, it's, if the person stands up to teach the Bible and it's all about having to study languages and grammar and history and all of these intricate things which people point to and you build all of your understanding through man's wisdom, then you've missed what the whole point of it is. It's not, it's like, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. That's not how we're supposed to preach. <laughs> we're supposed to preach, thus saith the Lord, and in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Not with man's wisdom. There's a, just a simple verse in, in Hosea chapter 4, right near the end of the Old Testament, if we can find that. Right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 4. And this is, this is God describing Israel as a, as a people, as a nation at the time. And you could insert Canada or America or our world into this verse as easily. As Hosea 4 verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. 
there's a problem. When the people, and especially the people that are claiming the name of God, as I said, the clergy coaching network, these are people who call themselves Christians. But not once in that <coughs> posting of that group have I seen a message of the gospel message of our sinfulness and of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Not once have they ever presented the gospel. There, there is no truth nor knowledge of God in the land. That's the problem. Is our, and it's not the lost world that I'm talking about right now. It's the churches. We need to be careful that we aren't fitting this description as a church. Because that's really, when you're talking about Israel, this is kind of a close comparison to the church. They're not talking about Syria and Babylon here, that they don't know God. This is talking about Israel. God's people have no knowledge of God. And I'm afraid that on the whole, God's people have no knowledge of the truth and of God. And that's a problem. Jesus, in John 17, verse 17, if I can get there. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. And then he even defines it for us. Thy word is truth. (laughs) Thy word is truth. This is Christ speaking. Thy word is truth. This is my, (laughs) my circular reasoning. If I plug in my extension bar to itself, and I, like, If I say that it's truth because it says it's truth, therefore I have no foundation, right? Well, if it's not truth because it says it's truth, then what is it? (laughs) If it's partly true, it must be true as a whole. Interesting, I'll, just, I'll carry on with that just for a second. In, in 1 Thessalonians, so as, as the Apostle Paul is out preaching, he's writing letters to these churches, and in the letter that he wrote, he's making this claim that is incredible. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul's words. So he's like, when I'm writing this, 
You guys actually receive it as the word of God. And what a blessing that is to have somebody have that kind of faith. And he says, he doesn't, he doesn't correct them for it, right? He's not like, oh, you're lifting this up a little too high. He's like, no. Paul recognizes that he has been inspired by God to write exactly what he's writing. And he says, you received and he even describes it initially. You received the word of God. It is the word of God, which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. This is, as it is in truth, this is the word of God. And we get into Second Peter. I'll, I'll, I'll go there and read it. Just, it's better that way. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter is describing the scriptures, the, the Bible as we have it, and primarily the Old Testament because he didn't have the whole New Testament yet, but he's speaking of them. And I've mentioned years past when I've, when I've used these verses, the, the preceding reference, so... so Second Peter, and I'm in First Peter. It helps. Verse eighteen. Uh, sorry, yeah. Verse First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse eighteen. He's this voice which came from heaven. We heard. He had a personal experience hearing the voice of God from heaven. But what he says in verse 19 is shocking. When, when you consider Peter's experience being with Jesus throughout his entire ministry and then being on the Mount of Transfiguration and hearing God's voice speaking directly, proclaiming Jesus as his son, then he says in verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. <laughs> like, I can believe Something more than what I could believe my own eyes and ears. I have a more sure word than what I actually experienced in my own life. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place and in, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. But for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's how we got what is written in our Bible, is holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so every comment that I heard on that YouTube or Facebook post, discrediting the Bible because it's written by men with their preconceived ideas and their, you know, all of our, all of our flaws and problems as men, right? It's like, yeah, but that's what God used. And the people who had a direct relationship with Christ and heard God's actual voice speaking to them points to those same scriptures saying, we have a more sure word of prophecy that I can trust more than my personal experience witnessing 
the miracles of Jesus, witnessing him being transformed into this glorious thing that we can't even look at because he's shining so bright, and hearing God speaking out of heaven. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure I trust all that. I could have been dreaming. But these guys, they, they spoke and they wrote this down, and it's perfect. I can trust every word of it. That's Peter's attitude towards the Bible. I think maybe we should follow his example as opposed to the doting people who are throwing questions at it constantly. And so, okay, if we get to this point where, okay, I believe you. The Bible is true. This is, this is truth. This is what I can know of God. Well, now what? <laughs> well, pick it up and read it. <laughs> there's a... There's, there's a how many Christians, and a good number of you guys put up your hand when I asked if you had read it, but how many people that call themselves Christians have never actually read the whole thing? I know a lot of Christians who will read their Bible, as in, like we have the, the daily bread devotionals come here all the time, and I know people who take that, and that's... It gives you a verse to read at the beginning of this little devotional thing, and it's cute and all, but... It's the daily crumpet. <laughs> we... It's like, like, are you getting full? <laughs> we picked up a crumb and, and, and tasted it. I was like, oh, that was good. And somebody described that crumb to us of, well, it tasted like honey, and right? Like, it's like the, the manna, right? But like, why don't you gather enough of this to actually get filled? Like, read the thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Because it all starts to fit together once you start to read the whole thing. And I like my wife that walked out on me just now. <laughs> she, she's... She reads throughout the year, but she got behind in her, her schedule. And so she's read a, a very large portion of the Bible just recently. Um, talking with other people, like um, just this time of year, some of us have a little bit more time on our hands and the weather kind of encourages us to sit on the couch or in by the fire a little bit longer than other times of the year. And so we read more. You know when. What's really neat, though, like, we're talking about Bible things last night, and she, she keeps whispering, I just read that. I just read that. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you turn in the Bible. It's like, yeah, I, I just read that. <laughs> because she's read so much of it just recently. And that's, that's so good when you've done that. And, like, if you come to church and the preacher's preaching on some verse of Scripture and turns to various things, and you're like, yeah, I just read that. It's like it, it's, it, the whole thing comes alive to us. But if you've never read it, if you're not picking up the book and reading it at home yourself, then it just kind of like glazes by and it's like the, that daily bread. Like, well, there was a nice tidbit and a nice little description of, of what, what it's like and what it tasted like, and, right? But, but yeah, you haven't 
if, if Sunday morning is the only Bible you're getting, <laughs> then you're not getting filled. You're not being fed. This is just like, this is just supposed to be a, a little bit of a boost to our week to encourage each other as we gather together. This shouldn't be our, our entire feeding for the week, right? There's got to be more to it. We look at, I bet you most of you, most of you can probably quote um, Romans chapter 10. But I'll, I'll go and read the verse. Romans 10, verse 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by, like, this is one of those passages that we turn to. Like, this is how we give the gospel to people. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it describes the process. It says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever shall believe on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And he's not talking about me. He's talking about you. Those people out there are not hearing me preaching this morning. They're only going to hear it preached if when you go to work, you're preaching it. When you go shoveling your driveway and you're talking to the neighbor across the way, you're preaching it. They're not going to hear unless you preach it. Because they're not coming here just by chance. wonder what that Baptist church has to say. Most people don't want to know what that Baptist church has to say until... They've already received something that put that in their heart. But how? It's, it's by what is written here. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If I'm preaching anything other than what is written in the book, I'm wasting your time. <laughs> People have commented that I, I do a, a lot of turning to different parts of Scripture. Well, well, I think I ought to, because if it's just my wisdom and my ideas that I'm preaching all day, then I'm wasting your time. You need to know what this says, because that's what it says you need to, to hear from. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You need to hear what the book says, not what I have to say about what it says, right? So I should shut up already. What does the Bible say about itself? Um, I'll just go through a few verses. Psalm 119. If If you've read Psalm 119, out of 150 verses, 
No, out of 176 verses, two don't reference something about the word, the written word. Only two out of 176 verses. And so we can, we can just go through here and see what it has to say about itself, but we, we can just pick a few. Verse, I'm going to go backwards. I don't know why. Verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. So it describes itself. This is David writing, describing God's word. It is very pure. If we go back to 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And most of us know that verse. We've heard the verse and we can quote it. But do you put it in your heart and like, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Well, are you walking in darkness or are you actually using the light that God gave you to light your path? Like, are you using the Bible to give you some instruction in how you're about to go and live your life? That's the whole point of that verse, is that we apply it, not just say these nice sayings that look good on a little sign on the side of the church wall. Go back to, to verse 76, says, Let I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. Thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word. When we're going through stuff, we can look here and see people who have gone through some stuff, that stuff that we can't even compare to. And we can get comforted by how God brought some of those people. Go read the, the story of Joseph in the, the, the last few chapters of Genesis. Um, talk about a guy that had a rough go of it. But man, how God used those things in, in an amazing way. Verse 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction. For thy word hath quickened me. It's like, this is what makes me alive, is reading this. I get up in the morning, and this is how you ought to wake up in the morning, is in God's word. Verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. I mentioned this, I don't know, probably a month or more ago, of memorizing scripture. If we spend our week trying to memorize a thing, putting it in our heart, and I was using uh, that Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, I think it is, where um, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, when we're memorizing verses that are talking about protecting ourselves from sinning against God, boy, it's a whole lot easier to not sin against God when we're, or it's a lot harder to sin against God when I'm trying to drive some of those verses into my heart. And that's the whole point. Like, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against these. Like, if, if it's not going in, it's not what's feeding us, and those other thoughts can easily take over, and this sin can start to dominate in our lives. And so, the point of all this is we need to read it. Um, we're in Psalms 
119 verse 15, we're already there. Here's a thought. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. There's a number of verses that speak of meditating on God's word. This This is very different than the Eastern meditation. This is not emptying our mind, but filling our mind with what God's word says. And just thinking about that thing, like how does this speak to me? What, is it, what does God want me to learn from this verse? How can I apply this to my life? That's what meditating in scripture is, is, is thinking about these things and figuring out how we can apply these things in our lives. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. Psalm 5. first couple of verses here say, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. And so this is a little different aspect of the reading idea, but it's a part of what our morning should be. When I wake up in the morning... It ought to be a conversation with God. And the way that conversation goes two ways is I read it and he speaks to me. And I open my mouth and I speak back to him in prayer. Right? That's, that's what a conversation is. It's two directions. And this is how we get God speaking to us is by reading what he has to say to us. And so the instruction and the, or the guidance the wisdom is to start your day like that. There's a good New Year's resolution. I'm going to get up early enough that I can do that before the rest of my day takes over. I'll tell you, that's a lot easier right now in my life because I don't get up and go to a job at whatever time in the morning. And so whatever time I happen to get up, I can actually do this. But it's important to have some discipline. And if, if there's something else going on in our day, like on Sunday morning, I actually do get up and go to work on Sunday morning. <laughs> but I still start my day the same way. Is I get up and I sit down and I read and I take that time. Because it's, it's the most important part of my day. I'll finish with uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I lied. I will finish with that. But first, I'm just going to read one verse in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. says, For this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then 
thou shalt have good success. The instruction to God's people is meditate in it day and night and observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you can be prosperous. There's a, there's a bit of a trend in churches to uh, get the prosperity ahead of the, <laughs> the obedience part here. And I'm not claiming that you, know, you start trying to do all these things and God's just going to make money fall from heaven on you. But Anyway, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. This is just Paul giving guidance to a young man who has found himself in the leadership of a church. And Paul is promising to come and visit. In verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. There's our instruction give attendance to reading. Like, get in it yourself, start to, to read. But it's not just read, but it's to put a little bit more into it, to exhortation and to doctrine. Like, when you read it, figure out what God is telling us. What am I supposed to believe about God? What am I supposed to believe about how the world ends? What order things happen in? how a person gets saved. These are doctrine things, right? And so we need to, to study it, like read it and think about these things. And then it says exhortation. Well, that's the, that's the go and tell someone about it. <laughs> go tell your neighbors. We read the, the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 and the, the shepherds get this angels come and tell them to go find this baby and they go and find this baby and they, everything is exactly how the angels said and they go and worship. Do you know what they did after that? Well, they went back to work, right? No, they went and told everybody they could find <laughs> about what happened and what they saw. That ought to be our response is we need to go and tell everybody we can find of what we saw what I learned by reading that. Let's pray.